Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Lead Gen podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the managing director of Bright Vision as well as host of the podcast. And today we have the honor to have a guest that you might be familiar with, David Merman Scott, who is an entrepreneur, advisor, keynote speaker, and a marketing original thinker. He has written a lot of popular books. You might have heard about the new rules of marketing and PR, a really great uh, book uh, and have put out a lot of other really great books since that one and is now up with a new one called Phenocracy, Turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans. I'm so excited to talk with you about this topic. So welcome to our podcast, David. Oh, hey, thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, and I have followed you for some years. Uh, all Thank the way you. back since <laughs> since the book I mentioned there, and I know a lot of people do. But for those who haven't come across you yet um, in our audience, could you just give us a brief background? You know what you're up to, and a little bit about your background. So sure, I spent um, about 15 years in the B2B technology business, particularly um, information businesses. I worked for companies like Thomson Reuters. Dow Jones and so on. Um, and in 2002, 10, 20 years ago, which is amazing, um, I started my own work and have written 12 books since then. As you kindly mentioned, I'm best known for a book called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. That book is now in 29 languages from Albanian to Vietnamese. And I updated every couple of years the new eighth edition will release in May of 2022. And um, thank you for mentioning the new book, Fanocracy. Uh, I wrote that book with my daughter, Reiko. She's um, now 28 years old, and we started working on it about five years ago. Uh, and it was a, a great process to bring her into it as well, because um, not only is she a different generation, obviously, she's my daughter, she's a different gender, obviously, um, but she's also, currently an emergency room doctor at Boston Medical Center. So she brings a whole very different perspective than I have. And so we co-wrote that book, Fanocracy. Um, when it released, it hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Yeah, and so interesting that you did it with your daughter who came from a totally different perspective, but joined in uh, fandom of different things. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really, it was super cool because we were talking a lot about fandom um, just at home and driving in the car and all sorts of places. And she's a huge fan of Harry Potter. Not only has she read every book and seen every movie multiple times, but she actually wrote an 85,000 word alternative ending to the series where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix and put that onto a fan fiction site 
and it's been read by thousands of people. And uh, she's also a fan of K-pop, Korean pop music. I'm a huge fan of the Grateful Dead. I love to surf. So we're really very different people, but we both have the same idea of fandom and how important it is. Yeah, that's so interesting. And uh, yeah, I, I've read your book uh, now as a little bit prep. And do you think everybody have those kind of interests that you have for Grateful Dead? Or have you seen any, you know, is, is it common that you come across people that are into something? Or is it an exception? Or what do you think? Is everybody into something? Well, I've actually asked many, many thousands of people that question. Um, I asked the question during my presentations and also virtual presentations. And, um, and it turns out that almost everybody is a passionate fan of something. Um, it's more than 95% of people that I ask. They might be passionate about a sports team that they love to watch play, or they might be passionate about, about a sport they love to do themselves. Like, for example, I love to go surfing. Um, or maybe they're inter interested in something that is considered more like a hobby, something like bird watching or gardening. Um, or maybe they're into um, a certain manufacturer of cars, or maybe they're into um, an author or a rock band. So everybody, almost everybody, is a passionate fan of something. And we, all, I also, we also learned doing the research, which is super interesting, is that people become fans of B2B companies, which is um, you know, part of the discussion around, that your podcast is centered on. And what's interesting to me there is one of the outward manifestations of that, which I see a lot, is that people have on the back of their computer stickers of the things that they love. So maybe it's a sports team or maybe it's a rock band, but frequently you'll see a sticker on the back of somebody's computer for B2B companies. Um, uh, as an example, I've been on the HubSpot advisory board since the very beginning, since 2007, 15 years now. Yeah. And, um, and I, I see people all the time who have a HubSpot sticker on the back of their computer. And it's not just HubSpot. It might be um, Apple or it might be other companies. And it's super interesting that it's not the idea of fandom is not just for entertainers anymore. The idea of fandom works for any kind of business, including B2B companies. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I read that in your ingress of the book that you've been, I didn't know that you've been on the HubSpot, but HubSpot is definitely a rock star within enterprise marketing software that can we for sure agree on. So if you would like to describe the core ideas around why it's so important, even for B2B companies today, to work with phenocracy as a concept and why they should turn the customers into fans, uh, fans into customers, can you give us the, the cliff notes there? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so the ideas originally came to me and my daughter, Reiko, um, about five years ago, because we had been th um, th talking a lot about how social media has changed. You know, back, back when social media really first burst onto the scene, I would say that was about 15 years ago. Um, it was great because it was a great way to connect 
and a great way to share the things that you're interested in. But over time, the social media algorithms have taken over. And that's especially true of Facebook, but it's true basically of all the social media. And with Facebook, the algorithm I believe to be the most destructive technology ever invented. The Facebook algorithm is designed to get you to stay on the site longer because that's how they can sell more advertising. And the way they get you to stay on the site more um, longer is to make you angry. Because when you're angry, you tend to spend more time on Facebook. How do they make you angry? They push you into conspiracy theories. They push you into groups of people who hate other groups of people. And it, it was responsible, I believe, for um, what happened in my country around our election in um, 2020. Um, and, uh, and then the, the events of January 6, 2021. Um, and it's also responsible for things like conspiracy theories around the effectiveness of vaccines. And that's super dangerous. So as my daughter and I were talking about that, we were like, yeah, but at the same time, what we see is this idea that um, um, that people are fans of, of, of things. You know, I talked about fans of lots of different things. So what we explored is how and why people become fans of something. And it turns out, um, we spoke with a number of different neuroscientists about this. It turns out that all of us are hardwired to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. And the reason for that is because when we're a part of a tribe of like-minded people, that's where we, we feel safe and comfortable and secure. And that goes back many, many, many thousands of years um, in human history as a survival technique. Because when you're with a group of people who you know, you're with a group of people who make you comfortable, um, that's where you're safe. <clears throat> and um, then if you run across another group or you run across danger, you're, you're being supported. However, if you're alone and you run across a group of people who you don't know, or even in modern world, if you go, get into, for example, um, uh, a lift or a, um, or a train car where you don't know people, you can feel nervous. Um, and that's just that survival technique kicking in. So what that means is if you're a, any kind of organization, the more you can develop this idea of creating a tribe of like-minded people, the more fans that you will develop. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> and I, it sounds very logical for, for many ways, but, but, uh, but it's a great insight you came across there to go with your daughter, I must say. And then you also took it to apply it into your expertise, marketing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that there are many different ways that you can develop this tribe of like-minded people. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's a B2B company or a consumer brand or, 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 um, or an entertainer, whatever it might be. Um, one example is the idea of giving gifts without any expectation of anything in return. So the first time I encountered this as a marketing technique was more than 40 years ago. I'm a huge fan of the American rock band, The Grateful Dead. And 
Interestingly, what the Grateful Dead did, unlike any other band, is that they allowed their fans to record their concerts. And you could bring professional level recording gear into the shows and record the concerts. No other band allowed you to do that. And um, they did have one rule, you couldn't sell the recordings, but if you wanted to give them away or trade them with other people, that was fine. And many, many people recorded the shows and then there were many, many um, tapes that were out in circulation as people were sharing them. And that's how I became a fan of The Grateful Dead was I listened to um, music that people were playing um, that had been originally recorded at a concert. Now, what's interesting about that is the Grateful Dead gave the gift of allowing people to record concerts when every other band said no, without any expectation of anything in return. But it turned out that was a fabulous form of marketing because people like me would hear those tapes and we would want to go to a show and we bought tickets. So I've been to 83 Grateful Dead concerts, I actually went six times in 2021. I probably spent $10,000 on my tickets and um, merchandise, and, and uh, I traveled by airplane to go to some of the shows. So, I mean, it's a big part of my <laughs> life. Now, let's, let's contrast that idea of giving gifts without any expectation of anything in return to what most B2B companies do. They do create some free content, maybe in the form of a white paper, but frequently the, what they do is they require you to fill out a form before you can get the white paper and you have to give up your email address. That is not giving a gift. Even though it says on the um, B2B company's website, this is our free white paper, it's not free at all. It's, it's a coercion technique that the company is using. They're saying, they're saying it's free, but that's a lie, it's not free. What you have to do is you have to give your personal information in order to get that white paper. So I believe a much better approach for B2B companies is to say it's totally free. Here it is. You don't have to register. You don't have to give us your email address. And then if your content is good, it will spread just like the Grateful Dead's content spread. People will share it. And then people, some of those people will reach out and want to do business with you, just like some of the people who listen to Grateful Dead recordings will want to go to a concert and spend money on a ticket. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. And very, very uh, true. But very few companies do offer that for free. <laughs> that, that can be say for sure uh if you just surf a few minutes on linkedin for example everything needs some kind of sign up or form or so um, right right yeah. and and that's why if you can do it that's why if you can make it free it's so much better is yeah. that um you're able to reach people in a completely different way and provide um, all this incredible information um and the key is that it, that you're not uh, expecting something in return. You will get something in return if your content is good. People will seek you out, but you're not requiring it. You're not coercing people. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. Do you think that is the key to building fandom? Or what do you see are the key steps for a company to succeed in doing this, where you have, you know, follow companies who have obviously been successful in this area? Well, that's one. 
There's, there's other strategies you can use to build fans. But ultimately, if I were to um, look at the overarching theme, is that it's bringing humanity to business. And the more you can think about what would be um, uh, a very human approach, the more changes you might make to your marketing. So I just shared this example of making your content completely free. Um, that's a human approach. That's a pro an approach that people will appreciate and they'll, they'll, ex they'll respect. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. Um, if you think about another approach, um, I actually blogged about this just yesterday, but many B2B companies use, and it doesn't matter what language, it could be Swedish, it could be German, it could be French, doesn't matter. But in English, they use these big words like flexible, scalable, cutting edge, innovative, best of breed. And in the English language, those words are all the time used by B2B companies, I guess they think that it makes them look smart if they use those words. But those kinds of words are not the way that people talk. Nobody says, I want a flexible, scalable solution for improving business process using um, cutting edge, mission critical technology. They don't say that. <laughs> it's the companies that say that. The potential customers don't say that. So if you think about how you can be human in the way that you write, just simply eliminating those, those I call them gobbledygook, the gobbledygook words helps a lot. I'll give you another example. Many B2B companies use stock photographs. Um, in other words, photographs that they purchase from a catalog to represent their employees or to represent their customers. And you've seen this, we've all seen these. If you're in the B2B business, you may have actually done this yourself. You grab a photo out of a catalog and then put that onto your website or your blog or your marketing materials to represent your customers or to represent your employees. This is not human either because everybody knows that those models are fake. Everybody knows that those are not your customers. They're not your employees. So um, all of these ideas that I'm sharing really point to this one concept, and that concept is to humanize your company. If you humanize your company by creating a tribe of like-minded people, if you humanize your company by giving gifts with no expectation of anything in return, if you humanize your company by eliminating that gobbledygook language, and it doesn't matter what language um, your, um, your business is creating content in because all languages have that kind of gobbledygook. In the English language, it's cutting edge, flexible, scalable, best of breed, and so on. And then eliminate stock photos. Again, bringing humanity to your business. Hmm. Wow, that's, that's uh, very compelling to, to bring humanity. You have followed 
uh, HubSpot from the beginning as an, a part of the advisory and, and you, you came across them when they only were 10 employees. What areas of these things do you think they have been able to exploit in building their fandom, so to say, and, and the rock star status as a marketing software they have today? All of them. Um, they, HubSpot is a fabulous example of a B2B company that has done a, a great job at building fans. And I mentioned earlier when we first started to talk this idea of stickers on the back of the computer. And in fact, that's how I met Brian Halligan, the CEO of HubSpot. So Brian and his team had read my book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, when the first edition came out back in 2007. And when they were reading my book, they recognized that I actually live in the same city. We, live, we both live in Boston, um, you know, different parts of Boston. But Brian's team reached out to me and said, hey, David, we've just read your book. We love it. We'd, we'd love to have a meeting with you. Your ideas and our ideas are very similar. So I went to their offices and they had fewer than 10 employees. They had no customers at that point. And, and I pulled out my computer and I opened up my notebook computer. My, it was a MacBook Pro. And on the back of my MacBook Pro, I had a Grateful Dead sticker. <laughs> and Brian said, whoa, you got a Grateful Dead sticker. Tell me about that. And I said, oh, my God, they're my favorite band. I love them. I, at that point, I think I had seen them about 40 times. I said, I've seen them 40 times. Um, I first became a fan when I was 17 years old. And Brian said, I'm a fan of the Grateful Dead, too. And I've seen them. I think he had seen them by that at that point, like 75 times. I've seen them like 75 times. I also became a fan when I was in high school as a teenager. So we instantly had something that we had in common. Now, that the simple fact that I had a computer, a, a sticker on the back of my computer was what prompted us to recognize that we're both the fans of the same thing. And that's what made us instant friends. Even though we had never met each other before, we had an instant, something instant that we had in common. And then within um, a week, Brian and his team invited me to become a member of the HubSpot Advisory Board, which I'm still a member of. And as Brian and I worked together to build HubSpot, we also wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead together. We're co-authors. And yeah. Brian specifically told me that, you know, we are going to build HubSpot the way the Grateful Dead build their band. And they absolutely, HubSpot has built tons of fans. They have millions of fans. They have millions of followers on social media. And they're doing all the things we talked about today. That's so cool to illustrate your, your ideas around phonocracy with the HubSpot case, because I think so many knows about it and can relate to it. And I totally agree. They give away a ton of free software, for example, which is highly appreciated by web developers. For those that not that, they have a free CRM tool, for example, that you can always start with and so on. So yeah, they're definitely giving away the same stuff. Uh, according to those uh, principles you mentioned there. Yeah, they absolutely are. And it's not just the software they're giving away. They have blogs and YouTube channels and um, they have HubSpot University. I'm, I'm sorry, it's called HubSpot Academy where you can take their free online courses. I mean, just tons and tons of this great content that serves to build fans 
And then once you're a fan of HubSpot and you're a fan of their content, then you might say, oh, you know, as soon as I need to purchase a CRM system, well, where am I going to go? I'm already a fan of HubSpot. I might as well go to them. Same thing as the Grateful Dead. If you become a fan of the band because of the free content, you're more likely to buy tickets. Mm, yeah, definitely. Do you have any last recommendation for a marketing manager who feels like this is awesome? I would like to build a fan base. Where should I start? You know, what's the first step? Well, um, you know, we talked about uh, we talked about a number of ideas, and there's many more in the book. So you can go to www.fanocracy.com, and I've got a ton of information on there that to to learn about um, some of the ideas in the book and some of the ideas that we didn't have enough time to share today. But I I would say one of the first places to start, and I think everybody who's listening in can start in this one place is to look at the language you're using on your website and in your marketing materials and look at the photographs that you're using on your website and in your marketing materials. And it's super easy as a very first step, you could even do it today um, to eliminate the stock photographs if you're using them and to eliminate those, um, those meaningless words if you're using those. That you can begin doing right away. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for sharing your insights, David. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And I recommend everybody who's listening into this to go to Phenocracy, the site, and also buy the book on Amazon or other places where they sell books or Kindles. Uh, thank you so much for everything you shared with us here today. And I wish you all the best. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.